0: Okay, so again to invite you to arrive and see if you've just felt distracted in these last few minutes and whether you felt like we meditated and then all of a sudden we left and you're all somewhere else. So see what it means to come back right here again. Okay? Whatever helps you to be here. It might be just that you take a moment to close your eyes and breathe and remember what really matters, what brings you here. And notice how just the invitation to pause creates so much more awareness. How we so quickly are in a trance. And even just a moment of intentionally saying, oh yeah, okay, here, changes the world around, which is a bit of the theme of tonight. In most spiritual communities there is a real emphasis on meditation training, training how to be still and how to deepen attention and um, wake up in the formal practice. And one of the um, little phrases that goes around in these communities often is, don't just do something, sit there. You know, one of those things. And that you're not a human doing, you're a human being. This is probably familiar to some of you. But one of the big questions I think that comes up is that huge portions of our life we're not just sitting still. And it's not like we're spiritual when we're sitting still and, you know, back straight and then when we're walking, talking, on computer and so on. That's non-spiritual. So one of the big questions is how do we live in our day when we're doing, when we're active, when we're engaged in those ways, and yet have our activity really be aligned with spirit, really be derived in a sense of of awake open-heartedness. And I love that um, when I learned some years ago that Mahatma Gandhi took a day every week, a day every week for meditation and prayer, and he said that he needed to do that so that his work, and he was such an activist, his work came from the deepest wisdom inside him. And yet as we know, we can take our time, we can go, some of you know the experience of going to a retreat. You can go to a week-long retreat and settle in and come back and then act like an insane, crazy maniac within a few days. It's like it doesn't stick or something. Or even come here and touch something, some quietness or some sense of tenderness, and next thing you know, something somebody got in front of you in, the, in front of the book and audio table and you're trying to get something and you're <laughs> irritated, you know. So it's like um, our traffic, you know, not to mention. So we know what it's like to... Um, touch states that are somewhat centered or more peaceful and then have our conditioning just flash out. And and it's so it's a given that through a lot of our activity we're in a kind of reactive place and we're often on automatic and worse when we're reactive we seem to make things worse. Have you noticed how when something goes wrong and you can't fix something you do something that makes it even more broken? <laughs> it happens. And there's a a wonderful, um, this was a response to a question for more information from an insurance company, and um, I want to read it to you because I think this illustrates the point. In response to your request for additional information in block three of the accident report form, I put in poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter I should explain more fully. I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of my accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had 500 pounds of brick left. Rather than carrying them down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel attached to the side of the building. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the brick onto it. Then I went back to the ground, untied the rope, holding tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. (laughs) You will note in block number 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 135 pounds. (laughs) Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. (laughs) This explains the fractured skull. Slowing slightly, I continued my ascent, stopping when the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep in the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I'd regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to the block weight my weight in block number eleven. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I again met the barrel coming up. <laughs> this accounts for the fractured ankle. The account The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the bricks. Fortunately, only my toes were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks, in pain and unable to stand, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. (laughs) This is entitled on Knowing When to Let Go. So that's extreme. But as we know, once we get caught in reactivity and we see it most relationally, that once somebody says something, we say something back and then it's off and running, the kind of um, spiral of increasing distance and violence. It's really basically integral to a spiritual practice to find out how to wake up in the midst of our doings and not be living in that reactive trance. So it's interesting to reflect, and I invite you to reflect, on what we might call your most valued doings. In other words, you might sense activities where there's a sense of serving this world, in some way helping the world. Or it might be helping a friend. Or it might be being creative, you know, writing or... Um, artwork, music, photography, or it might be playing with children, playing with people's inner child. So it might be activity where there's real enjoyment and a sense, what's the common denominator in all those doings? Whether we're being creative or helpful or enjoying, what's the common denominator? what has to be the case. And with each, I am wondering what you are thinking, <laughs> with each unless there is a genuine quality of presence, of sensing here, now, awake, there is not real helping going on, there is not real creativity, there is not real service, there is not real enjoyment. So we're active a whole lot, but how often are we active and really present? So tonight what I'd like to explore is how um, in the midst of doings we can kind of wake ourselves up and reconnect with a sense of presence because so much of our time we're doing an entrance. trance, so much of our time. And some of you might remember um, James Joyce In one of his novels said, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. I don't know (laughs) if you remember that. So much of our doings were a short distance from our body. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're thinking ahead, we're leaning into the future, we're somewhere else. And much of the time in our doings, and, and I call this selfing, our doings are coming from a kind of self or ego state that is afraid of something bad happening and trying to control things to make something good happen much of the time. So there is a kind of tension in it. There is, in most of our doings, some degree, and the more there is the more suffering, some degree of having to have things happen a certain way. And we can notice when things don't quite go our way how our body contracts. We want it a certain way. I love the... um, there's a Sylvia cartoon. Sylvia, in this time, was in the guise of a fortune teller. And her the woman that had come to see her had asked her, had said, you know, my husband, he won't really talk about his feelings. He's just all closed up. So Sylvia looks in the, in the crystal ball and, you know, she basically says, Well, in 2008, men will start telling women what they think. Within moments across the country, women will be sorry, <laughs> you know. So we think we know what we want and we spend a lot of our doings, it's like we're on our way to get something to work out a certain way, but we're not here. In other words, we're doing for the sake of something else, but rarely in the thick of the doings, feeling our presence, feeling what's happening, alive in the midst. So you might think to yourself, but isn't that how it is? I'm a self. I'm doing. I need to get certain things done. I don't want certain things to happen. And the truth is that we can get away with that for a while. We can get away with a sense of a self that's trying to um, accomplish this and avoid that. In fact, you know, millions and millions of people are on automatic you know, shopping and cooking and eating and living and paying bills and pressing donate on the computer screen to help out and doing errands. And we can survive doing this selfing activity. We can kind of skim the surface and survive. Yet the sad thing is that if we're always on our way, that's what is called the unlived life. It's like When people come and talk to me and there is a sense of despair, it's because they feel they have been kind of racing across the surface, getting things done, but not arriving in their life. There is an unlived life. And underneath the despair is this huge grief because all that doing didn't have a sense of being in the midst of it. It's a lot of moments of doing. It's like this life is on such a fragile thread, you know, we have this idea that the bad things, the big bad things happen sometime down the line or to others. And so we're the way we are averting our gaze in terms of not really recognizing what Carlos Castañeda said, death at the left shoulder always, that we don't know how long we have and we are doing these doings as if we had forever and not cherishing this quality of being that's possible in the midst. So the consequence of a doing-self, the consequence is living in this kind of stressed-out place, not really listening to who's here, missing the moments. In a global way, the, the um, consequences are, it turns into massive greediness and massive violence we lose touch with our hearts and with what matters. A couple of weeks ago I I read um, a piece from D.H. Lawrence from Lady Chatterley's Lover and I'd like to read you a piece of it again. He says, for the truth is we are perishing for lack of fulfillment of our greater needs. We are cut off from the great sources of our inward nourishment and renewal sources which flow eternally in the universe. Vitally, the human race is dying. It is like a great uprooted tree with its roots in the air. We must plant ourselves again in the universe." So there's something about that image of the roots up in the air and you can get the sense of these doing-selves kind of spinning and in this trance, but not really arriving in any moment, not rooting in any moment, not really connecting with the mystery that's here. And we're so habituated to this selfing activity, to the notion of, of course, I need to get things done, that we don't even sense the possibility of enjoying the process. We're so used to being on our way that it's a given the kind of sense of fight or flight. It's a given that we're trying to get through the day. We often don't even challenge it. It's a given that we're stressing. It's almost like, well, if I wasn't really pushing and stressing, I wouldn't get things done. That can be the the mental idea. So there's not even the sense that it's possible to feel incredibly alive and peaceful and creative and loving in the midst of doing. We don't even hold open that possibility much of the time. So I was thinking of, of an example of how, how it's almost the assumption of, of things. And I was remembering how I, I first started teaching weekend retreats, I think it was about sixteen years ago, out in Claymont in West Virginia. Some of you might have been part of that. And I remember when I first was teaching these retreats, I would memorize my talks, word for word, like every, like I'd give a talk, a couple of talks each day. I'd memorize everything. And I remember driving out to the repeat and I was like rehearsing the talks as I was driving out. And then I'd go out and give an opening talk and while people were doing walking meditation, I'd be rehearsing my next talk. And every time there was space when I wasn't on, so to speak, I was just rehearsing and memorizing another talk. And then what was the talk about? Being present, you know? (laughs) So it was interesting that, you know, as much as we know about being present, the assumption was, well, I have a job I need to do and this is what I need to do to accomplish the job. It didn't occur to me that, well, wait a minute. So when I was... um, I came up with, I remembered this this morning. I was going out for, I I have this windy path. I do my kind of walk, jog, run, whatever I call it, but it's moving fast. So I was doing it and I was um, trying to sense, well, what should I share? What would be a good example of um, not being present in activity? And so I came up with that and around the corner, another woman was running. We almost crashed into each other because I was so busy coming up with a story for you. (laughs) So I'm telling you that because it's not just ancient history, this thing of not, you know, the idea is when you eat, just eat. When you read, just read. When you walk, just walk. Mm -hmm. Can you bring a wholeheartedness to what's right here? Of course, there's the um, Zen master who taught that a lot. When you eat, just eat. When you read, just read one of his students walked into the kitchen in the monastery and discovered him eating and reading the newspaper (laughs) and challenged him. He said, Roshi, you say to us, when you eat, just eat. This is very Zen. When you read, just read. And he says, yes. And when you eat and read, just eat and read. (laughs) So this isn't rigid, you know. So the invitation here is how do we start challenging almost the assumption that we need to be all stressed and grim and tense and on our way somewhere. And how to remember that it's not what we're doing, like getting somewhere, but it's how we're doing it, the quality of presence. And the truth is there are times that our activity is sourced in presence and it's not hitched to a sense of self. And we know those times. Not, for some, it's in the zone when you're playing a sport, or some physical activity. For some, it's when you're giving a massage, touching another, making love. It might be when you're helping another handle a difficulty and just the sense of self's gone. You're not, you're not trying to fix them. You're just creating a space to help just make room for connection. It might be working in nature, or if you do pottery, throwing a pot playing piano, gardening. I mean, we know it's possible. If you're trying to get somewhere and you're dancing and you're trying to get to the end of the dance, that's not gonna be a living the dance, right? Or if you're playing a piece on the piano and you're not trying to get to the end of the piece. And yet how many moments are we trying to get to the end of something? And how many moments do we have an undercurrent when we're doing an activity, that we should be doing something else. Are you familiar with that? That whatever you're doing, it's like there's this inner restlessness, like I really should be doing something else. It's not what we're doing. It's the quality of presence. And if our habit is not to bring a wholehearted presence, it's not like we just bring a wholehearted presence to the fun stuff, but not the not fun stuff. It's across the board. We're always on our way. We're always skimming that surface and not arriving. Some of you might have read Eckhart Tolle's new book, The New Earth, and one of the ways he describes it, I'll read, he says, awakened doing, which is what we're talking about, is the outer aspect of the next stage in the evolution of consciousness on our planet. So the inner inner experience is just being aware of presence, and the outer is being aligned, and so that that presence flows through what we do. Awakened doing, without being identified as a self that's wanting something different, having to have it a certain way. Awakened doing has a kind of free quality. There's right there being effective and doing what we have to do, and yet without the added trappings of have to have it a certain way have to get somewhere so 2,500 years ago the Buddha talked about the same thing that that Eckhart Tolle talks about and it's described as wise action and it's the ways we move and speak and work and live and he basically taught that when our actions are sourced in mindfulness in presence those actions will serve our freedom and the freedom of others as well and that anything we do that's sourced in presence will be healing and bring more love, no matter what we're doing, no matter how much we're trying to save the earth, bring justice, bring whatever freedom, if it's sourced in anger, in fear, in a sense of a self trying to prove something, trying to feel good about oneself, it brings more of that selfing energy into the world. Now that doesn't mean that we don't act socially try to make a difference and help our friends and so on because we're not a hundred percent clear of selfing. That's not the message here. Because all of us, as far as I can tell, it's marbled in all of us, those conditionings to want to feel good about ourselves and um, feel like something might be wrong in the world and we're trying to make a difference. But to see those stories See those feelings and keep coming home to, like as Gandhi did, the deepest wisdom. The deepest wisdom. St. Augustine said, Love and do what you will. If we're present, the doings will express that presence and they'll be helpful. So let's go over some of the kind of skillful approaches that can help us move from the kind of habit of selfing, of of these kind of doings that are so stress-based to enlightened doing. And the first is to set your intention. And it might be at the beginning of the day or the beginning of an activity. But if in some place in you there's a sense of whatever this doing is, whatever this activity, going online, going to a meeting, driving the carpool, whatever it is, may this serve awakening, may it serve presence and love. That intention will help you be more awake. Now, the next piece is and I find this one really revealing. I mentioned that a lot of the times that we're doing things we have an argument with what we're doing. On some level we don't want to be doing it, we want to be doing something else. We're not inhabiting the doing. We're at odds with the activity. So the next piece of this conscious activity is to make peace with what we're doing. Just to accept, okay, it's not maybe not pleasant, but this is what's happening right now. So we align ourselves. We're not fighting with the fact that we're doing it. Amazingly, if you can notice that you're not wanting to do it and just say, okay, it's kind of like saying yes internally. Yes to this. This is what's happening right now. All of a sudden, it gets more interesting. And I was um, exploring this sense of I'd rather do some, be doing something else recently when I was at a doctor's appointment, I was getting acupuncture and I realized I had forgotten something, I had to go way out of my way to do another errand before I could go home. And so I found the whole time I was going out of my way, because that's the whole deal, we think we're going out of our way, um, I was resenting it. And then I went, wait a minute, this is what I'm talking about next Wednesday, (laughs) you know, one of those. And um, so I started exploring how to really, really be okay with that this is just what's happening. And it was almost like peace opened up. There was this space. It it was like making friends with this is how it is right now. Krishnamurti, many of you have heard of, an Indian philosopher and spiritual teacher. He really was trying to convey all his life what was bu- beyond words to convey and he had many people that were fascinated but totally clueless about what he was saying so at one point as he's, he surprised his audience and he said, do you want to know my secret? and of course everybody's leaning forward <laughs> yeah, we want to know and then he said, this is it, this is my secret I don't mind what happens uh-huh. that was it, I don't mind what happens so what would that be like? So I was trying that on, you know, I could say, what would it be like if you were at the Maryland DMV, which is like, I need to say no more for anyone that knows. I mean, I remember a few years ago I went and it was one of the worst in terms of the lines and I finally, after hours, got up front to find out I didn't have something I needed. Hours. What if, you know, and this is what I was saying, what if I didn't mind? I totally minded and I suffered. (laughs) But what if we could really not mind? And so this is a, the practice that I, I've been exploring a lot is I find many activities that are no nowhere near like the DMV are in some way in my mind in the category of this is just a task I'm trying to get done so later I can really relax, whatever. How to engage in each and really have that quality of this too, this too. And then to explore who are we when we're minding? And what's it like, like, who are we when we're not minding? And what I find is there's a lot of space. So I'd like to... I'm going to suggest a few home practices to you. If you... You know, you can go as deep on the spiritual path as you want. And if the path is limited to some sort of a formal let me meditate 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes every week, or. That's one level. If you begin to take the activities of your life and say, I really want to be awake through these, that's another level. So one home practice is to identify something that's regular you do that you resent doing. Something, whatever. It might be traffic. Traffic's a good one. You know how one teacher described it, we go, when we get into really heavy traffic it's like everybody else is traffic, we're not. <laughs> we're just in it, you know. <laughs> anyway, so whatever the activity is that you find you're resisting, at war with, not liking, see if you can dedicate that one to this, okay, what would it mean to not mind? To accept to accept that this is what's happening. And it needs to be a cellular level. It can't just be what we call bargaining mind. Okay, I'll try to accept this if it will feel better, you know. Okay, so that's the first piece, is we have our intention and we stop the argument with the, all the many things of doings that in some way feel like an imposition. Number two, that there be some real practice in whatever we're doing with what I call a totally engaged presence. And by that, if as we've been describing, most activity has very little joy in it. And if you look to see how come very little joy, we can't enjoy unless we're present, unless we're embodied, open, here. So most activity is purposeful but not having that quality of here So the deepest teaching is just the way it's said to love the one you're with, to enjoy what you're doing, to let this, whatever this activity is, be the place of, okay, let me see if I can be present in the midst of this. And what that means is first to notice how much we are lost in thought. Now, a lot of our activities take a lot of thinking, and so it's learning how to pause. There's an amazing power, and we touched this a little, you know, how we stood up and moved around and you might have noticed that your mind kind of got distracted and off, and just to pause even for 15 seconds. You can afford 15 seconds, no matter how busy you are, I know it. But to even pause for 15 seconds and notice the busyness of the thoughts and come back and I'd like to invite you to do it right now come back into the body so when you're listening to a talk there's lots of thoughts so remind yourself of what it means to just come back into feeling your body right now to receiving sensations and for some a helpful pathway is through some full breaths feeling the life in the body, your hands softening, feel the whole body as a field of sensation. Most of us think that joy comes from certain kinds of activities like hiking to a beautiful spot or vacationing with loved ones or celebrating a wedding, dancing. It doesn't come from what we are doing. It comes from the quality of presence that flows into what you are doing. You could be doing the most fun stuff on earth and I know you've experienced it and not really be enjoying it because the mind is preoccupied. And you can be doing the most simple thing in the world, just walking out and getting your mail and if you step and feel the earth and hear the birds and feel a breeze on your cheek that can become as profound a moment of joy and presence as anything in the world just as profound you can ask the question any moment, what is between me and enjoying right in this moment and that can shine a light on not being here on being at war with what's happening, being off in thought. So the practice for conscious doing is a kind of inner pause where you notice the thoughts and the thinking and maybe take some breaths and feel your body, feel yourself here. So your home practice is to take something that isn't that you don't have an aversion to. And I'd like to recommend your home practice be your shower tomorrow, okay? And the um, training is to take your shower and have your intention be not to be off in thoughts at all, but rather to experience with your body the whole experience, the whole experience. And it's very interesting, you'll notice you leave some, but keep coming back and and sense that it's, this is not conceptual, just what does it feel like, what is it like to be in the shower? Notice the difference between being in thoughts and the direct sensation of the warmth or coolness of the water, the sounds, the feeling of soap, whatever. Now, Don't limit yourself if you want to also do it with walking or cleaning the dishes or something else. But the experiment is this, that we are in a trance of thinking most of the time. We need to think and some of the thinking is absolutely essential for the work we do. So this isn't a diatribe against thinking. But we're addicted to it. There's very few spaces between. Start finding the spaces between. What that means is there's a kind of discrimination in the mind with thinking where you start noticing, okay, right now this thinking is productive, useful, necessary for the task. But you start getting the hang of realizing you're just in this cocoon of familiar repeating thoughts. It's, this is not serving anything. That's when you pause. That's when you breathe and feel your body again. This is Dharma training on the ground, in the field. And we can't be free if our only training is when we're sitting on the cushion or on the chair. Because what happens, it becomes like a compartmentalized. it's like a church on Sunday thing, do you know what I mean? It needs to weave into everything. So that's the assignment, home practice, should you want to start with your shower, but include anything, be in your body. Just keep coming out of thoughts and into your body and sense what happens. Now there's another level of deepening as we're exploring conscious activity. It's one thing to be in our body and have our senses open. If you want to deepen it, then to begin to inquire and sense the very nature of presence itself. So it's like you're in the shower, you're feeling the sensations of the wetness and the soap. And then there's that inquiry, really, of what's the feeling or sense of presence here? The wakefulness, the space. Sometimes just saying the words, I am, and then just sensing, well, what's aware? What is that I am? And then letting go into that. So you begin to answer the question, can you feel your own presence? Again, as Eckhart Tolle said in New Earth and the Buddha said 2,500 years ago, there's a liberation that's possible when we can be active and yet, in a sense, empty of self, just aware of presence. So let's practice that a little bit. And just, this we're going to practice sitting still, but just this practice of sensing presence, because it's very subtle and it's very powerful. And if it seems to absolutely be like another world and you're not sure even what we're talking about, um, just trust that presence is what you are and that every one of us is coming home to realize this kind of primordial space or awakeness that's our nature. The gateway to presence, okay? The gateway is to have your senses awake. Have your senses awake. So as we talked about, we come out of the thinking, just as you will be practicing in the shower, or maybe when you're walking. We come out of our thoughts, and then as you might explore right now, let your senses be wide open. Listening. let the sounds wash through you feeling the sensations in your body, receiving sensations so that you can relax even a little more right now and really let life be just as it is listening listening and feeling aware of scent aware of the space you're in relaxing and maybe the whisper of the words, I am, and just sense what is aware, what is aware. Not with your mind but just a kind of intuiting sensing and just let go and be that presence. Be the silence that's listening Be that space, that open space of awakeness that receives sensations Sense the presence that is what you are. Knowing that you can move in your life, you can walk, you can wash, you can do activities and sense this presence, this beingness, that you can realize that these forms are vehicles that consciousness is awakening through, that the entire universe is expressing itself through activity when not identified as self. The poet Haviz puts it this way, he says, I am a hole in a flute that the Christ's breath moves through. Listen to this music. I am a hole in a flute that the Christ's breath moves through. And you could say the universe's breath, the breath of awareness, of the divine listen to this music taking a few breaths coming back when you'd like so we've talked about a few ways that you can that you can bring alive this, this practice of conscious activity at home. And one is when you're kind of at war with activity to practice not minding. And that very acceptance creates a real living peace. It's really beautiful. And another is that when you're taking a shower maybe or something like that's not aversive, commit yourself to waking up out of thoughts and being totally in your body. Another is that you can, as your senses are awake, when you're walking, moving through the day, just ask yourself, can I sense my own presence, this awakeness, this openness? Now one of the beautiful kind of expressions of conscious activity is that when we bring it in the relational field, in other words, when we're active with each other, talking, helping, serving, being with each other in activity, and there's that quality of presence, it's expressed as love. That is love in action. And there's a lot of helping and being with others that's not conscious. And I think of helping in particular that we're often very motivated by fear or anger or pity or by a sense of a self wanting to be a good self. And a lot of our helping activity in the relational field comes from that sense of a self that's wanting to be, be good um, there's, a, there's a wonderful phrase that um, to be kind you need to swerve often from your path that really helping isn't like oh I'm going to make you different in some way it has, there's a real emptiness of self and a real sense of the wholeness in me is serving the wholeness in you I want to read you a story some of you might remember this it was written by araya mountain dreamer um, and i shared it rather recently but i think it really illustrates this sense of what does it mean to be consciously active in relationship with others and in this uh, araya was teaching a, a workshop and at the end um, a small thin woman in an oversized parka introduced herself as isabel can i do this meditation on my own she asked Yes, I said, I'm sure you can, although many people find it easier to establish a meditation practice with the help of a group. It's just hard to keep up the discipline on your own. But what will it give me? What will I get if I do this every day? And her tone took on a whining quality and I felt my irritation rise as she continued. How fast will it work? Will I feel a difference after a week? How will I know if it's working? This is exactly the kind of thing I detested. The quest for a quick fix The desire for guaranteed outcomes The simple answer Do this and you'll get that My sons were waiting for me And I wanted to go home I took a deep breath Looked directly at Isabel And set my knapsack down on the floor I tried to slow down my words Thinking that maybe if I spoke slower I would feel more patient (laughs) Well, I said Meditation is more a process Than a goal-oriented activity It can help you become more aware Of what's going on within and around you And this can help reduce stress my best advice is just to try to be patient with yourself and try it. I picked up my bag and started to button my coat. I really did have to leave and I wanted to get out while I was feeling virtuous for not snapping her head off. But as I started to move away, Isabel suddenly reached out and grabbed my arm with surprising strength. But I want to know, she said, what I want to know, her voice rising in a crescendo that bordered on real panic, is will it help me find God? If I meditate well, I have an experience of something or someone out there listening, something really with me. A wave of desperation swept out from her through me and I was surprised to find my eyes filling with tears. This woman wasn't looking for an easy answer or a guaranteed formula because she was lazy. She didn't want a simple plan because she was unable or unwilling to think critically about what would work. She wanted something she knew would work and work quickly because she was hanging on by her fingernails. She wanted something that would work in a week because she was afraid she simply wasn't going to make it through months or years. I put my hand gently over Isabel's where it gripped my arm. It's okay, Isabel. We all feel desperate at times, I said. Nobody does it by themselves. We all need help. Her hand relaxed a little beneath mine and she started to cry. We talked for a while longer. There is no them. There's only us. When I left I did not leave one of them. I said goodbye to one of us, a human being doing the best she can, searching for the home for which all our hearts long. When we pause, when we slow down and listen to what's going on inside us and another we come home to a presence that then can act in a way that knows our connection with each other, it's not like me helping you it's the wholeness within us serving the wholeness in another there's a difference, there's a real difference between what we sometimes think of as helping and truly serving and the difference is the quality of presence with presence it's not a self doing a good thing It's awareness and love expressing itself. There's an old man walking along a beach in Mexico after an unusually strong spring storm. The beach was covered with dying starfish tossed up by the waves and the man was tossing them back in the water one by one. A visitor saw this and came up to him. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to help these starfish, the old man replied but there are tens of thousands of them washed up along these beaches. Throwing a handful back doesn't matter, protested the visitor. Matters to this one, the old man replied as he tossed another starfish into the ocean. So there's this quality of presence, and it really doesn't matter whether we do great acts, as Mother Teresa said, or small acts with a full heart. It's really a quality of presence. And if we can begin to pause, we sense we are the opening through which this love is flowing. And we don't take it as ours. It's not my love, my helpfulness. It's just the love and wisdom and aliveness of the world that flows through us. And what lets it happen is when we arrive and have that quality of presence that's not fighting the moment, not thinking that we're doing something, that we have to have it a certain way. There's a um, Zen description of freedom that I really like, which is that the whole whole nature of freedom is responding appropriately. (laughs) That's it. That's the whole teaching. It's just responding appropriately. And what allows us to respond appropriately, which means in any situation, really showing up with wisdom and heart, is this quality of presence. Again, Saint Augustine love, and do what you will. So we'll do a final reflection, if you will, just to close tonight. And I think you'll find it you know, this helps to bring some closure to the evening. To take a moment, again, as we have been, to sense that this is a precious opportunity to pause right here. And that this moment matters as much as any moment in your life. You're not on your way to the end of the evening. You're here. Just let go and arrive, relaxing with what's here. And you might, as we did when we opened, just sense that kind of sincerity which is really the deep awareness in you that's calling you home that wants to be awake through this life that doesn't want to skim the surface and be lost in trance to sense that intentionality when you're doing the tasks that you habitually are at odds with it's a radical experiment to not mind and when you're doing the activities that you might space out with, like a shower what's between me and enjoying? can I let go of thinking and really be here? radical presence As we move through the day, can we sense, really, the presence that is what we are? Can we feel it right this moment? This closing poem, Dana Feltz, you can sense it for the day or for the moment She says, do not let the day slip through your fingers. And you might sense it, do not let this moment slip through your fingers, but live it fully now. Live it fully now. This breath, this glimpse of newly risen sun catapulting you into full awareness. Time is precious, minutes disappearing like water into sand unless you choose to pay attention. Since you do not know the number of your days, treat each as if it is your last. Be that compassionate with yourself, that open and loving to others, that determined to give what is yours to give and to let in the energy and wonder of this world. Experience everything, writing, relating, eating, doing all the necessary little tasks of life as if for the first time, pushing nothing aside as unimportant. You have received these same reminders many times before. This time, take them into your soul, for if you choose to live this way, you will be rich beyond measure, grateful beyond words, and the day of your death will arrive with no regrets.